Would you take uh, your Bible and turn back to that passage, Psalm 62? It was, uh, it was at least 10 years ago that, that Doug Newton came and spoke uh, for our spring revival services here. And I, I don't remember a lot of, of what he said, uh, which is typical, I think, of most people and most preachers. <laughs> but I do remember this. He asked us uh, one night, how many of you deep in your hearts know that your prayer life is not what it ought to be? He wasn't asking for us to respond publicly. He just wanted us to think about that ourselves. And then he said, okay, then, what is your plan to make that happen? Because it's not just going to happen on its own. How are you going to act in order to make your prayer life what you think it ought to be? I mention that because ultimately... That is the practical implication of any study of prayer, like the one we are, we are in. We can do a sermon series on prayer. We can study prayer. We can observe prayer. We can learn about it until we're absolute experts on it. We can write books on it. But what good is that unless we apply what we've learned so that it changes our life and it does us some good? Prayer meeting this, this past Wednesday, Dave Collette said it this way. He says, how do you make something a part of the very fabric of your life? Something that is not just painted on, but that it's, it's dyed in, you know. There's a difference. Every indication is that King David had done this. With prayer, he made prayer, he made conversation, ongoing conversation with God, part of the very fabric of his life. Uh, Psalm 62 here, we're told this is one of his psalms, which is a song, which most songs are prayers. So that's how you think about it, okay? And I can easily believe that this is one of David's psalms just by a quick reading of it. You know, he starts out, God is my rock, he says, my fortress, my salvation. Where does that image come from, you think, in David's life? Rock, fortress, salvation. I think it comes from all of David's running and hiding from his then boss, King Saul. When he was in the caves of Angedi, you know, that's the imagery David knew. The safety of the hills, the caves, the rocks, the hard places where God came and met him and kept him when Saul was out there hunting him like an animal. Well, that was years ago. Uh, years passed since those days. David now has arrived at his destiny. He's now the, the king of Israel. But you see, even now, even as the king, there's some person, some group of persons, presumably some of his own allies. That's kind of how it reads. Some person or group of persons is trying to topple him from his lofty place, according, according to verse 4 back there. We don't know the details. He doesn't tell us all the details. All we know is that David describes himself as a leaning wall or a tottering fence. Or hedge. He's ready to break. 
He's ready to fall down under the pressure that is building up behind him because of this that is going on. In other words, he feels like he's on the edge of collapse. This is King David. Have you ever been there? Do you know what it's like to be a tottering fence? It's been about 20 years ago now, I enclosed our backyard with a picket fence to keep our boys in the yard and out of the street <laughs> that runs by our house. I remember digging those post holes for that fence. I learned something as I dug those holes. I learned something about my backyard. I learned there's not much dirt on top of the rock in my backyard. Uh, if you live on a hill in Kentucky, that's true for you too. Uh, some of those post holes then are not very deep, which means some of the posts do not go in the ground very deeply because there's solid rock not too far down there. And that's why when the weather gets really dry and really hot, a number of those posts can get a little loose because the dirt uh, constricts because the moisture leaves the dirt. And when the posts get loose, then that part of the fence gets loose. And it sometimes gets so loose that I thought all it would take is just a little pressure, you know, from the wind or, or from the kids <laughs> to bring it down. That is a tottering fence. It's such a descriptive word, tottering. You can see it in your mind. It's shaky. It's swaying. It's unstable. It's liable to fall. That's how David felt. King David. That's how he felt. Have you ever felt that way? I'll tell you this, anyone who has ever taken on any real responsibility has felt as David felt. At one time or another, you have felt that way. You don't have to be the king. You don't have to be the president of a company. You don't have to be any big position in society. If you're a parent, if you are responsible for the welfare of someone besides yourself, anyone, you have known at one time or another how a tottering fence Feels because you're, you know, you're going along okay, you're getting things done, you're paying the bills, and then something happens that upends your world. You find out your kid needs braces, $4,000 for straight teeth. Where's that going to come from? You feel a little pressure behind the fence, right? Uh, how about when the company that you've been with for years tells you just out of the blue, your job is being eliminated? You're being restructured. That's a little more pressure behind the fence. You've worked hard. You've saved toward your retirement. You've got plans. But you go to your doctor because you have this nagging pain, and your doctor says a word that you are not expecting. Right? The pressure behind the fence. You can feel it. Rising up, you can feel the fence moving. What do you do when your fence totters? Reading the psalm shows us that David was very honest with himself. Which is the first thing a wise person ought to do when they feel their fence tottering. We need to get honest with ourselves. David was a remarkable person. He was a truly extraordinary king. Because most people in authority in David's day would never have dreamed of letting anybody know that they were frightened or they were unsure or they were struggling in some way. Back then, you know, just like now, there's this conventional wisdom in leadership that says you put on a confident front no matter what you're feeling inside. You don't admit to anyone that you might be struggling. 
Now, yeah, there are times for confident fronts. Sometimes for the survival of the whole group, the leader has to appear confident on the outside, even if he or she is not all that confident on the inside. I remember at 8.30 in the evening on September 11th, 2001, when President Bush, a relatively new president, sat at his desk and spoke words of comfort and calm and assurance to the United States and to the whole free world, really, Uh, His countenance was one of strength and poise, and the country needed that. We needed to see that. But we all know that in his heart, he was hurt, and he was shaken. And he was wondering what was really going to happen. And he was wondering what exactly he ought to do. And we know that because he's admitted that through the years following. When the fence totters, like David, we have to start out being honest with ourselves. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. You know, I've lived in Wilmore for going on 25 years now, and I wouldn't choose to live anywhere else. Please understand, this is a great town uh, to live in, to work in, to raise a family in. But... The culture of Wilmore is not one that easily encourages people to be honest with themselves or with others about their fears or their pressures, about their own tottering fences. Now, it's not just Wilmore. You know, our whole American culture makes individualism and self-reliance almost holy to where even admitting that we might be struggling is seen as somehow weak. But, you know, the spiritual dimension of Wilmore can add another level of deterrence to self-honesty. There's this pride thing in places in Wilmore that keeps some people from being honest about their struggles because they feel that if other people really knew what they were struggling with, they would be looked down upon for not having it all together. So people can end up putting on this confident front while burying their tottering deep inside them. And that is damaging enough. But what that leads to is something even worse. Because over time, that confident front begins to be a part of who that person thinks they are. That person loses touch with what's really happening down here. And they refuse to admit even to themselves that there is struggle or there is hurt or there is confusion in their lives. They're no longer able to be honest with themselves. And so they wind up in this ridiculous and frankly very dangerous cycle of keeping up appearances. Now I'm not saying that everybody gets caught in this. But there's a lot of people in the church who do. And frankly, I think it's quite repulsive to God. When we're not humble enough to admit to ourselves, let alone to someone else, that we need help or we're not perfect. Or that we're on the edge for one reason or another. I mean, isn't that really the definition of pride? I think it is. You don't see that in King David. 
He, he was just so beautifully honest. That's part of the reason I think God says he's a man after his own heart. The, the vanity of keeping up appearances, it just had no place in David's life at all. It's interesting to me that this honesty, which, which may have been the very characteristic about David that God loved the most, was also the characteristic that David's wife, Michael, hated the most. She liked being Mrs. King David of Israel. And she wanted him to maintain this certain level of sophistication and this certain air of dignity. But do you remember when the ark was brought back to Jerusalem and David was so happy and he was so full of praise that he danced before the Lord in just this linen sheath? (laughs) Scripture tells us that because of that, his wife despised him. She accused him of humiliating himself and, of course, humiliating her. And do you remember what he told her? He said, I'll become even more undignified than this. I'll be humiliated in my own eyes, but by others I'll be held in honor. You see, David was honest with himself in good times And in hard times, he was honest with himself when the fence was strong and sturdy. He was honest with himself when the fence tottered. And because of that self-honesty, David could then be honest with God. You see, we can never be truly honest with God until we're honest with ourselves. Until we're willing to admit our own strengths, weaknesses, prides, and prejudices. We will never be able to be honest with God. We will never be able to have truly an honest conversation with God. Like David seemed to be able to have all through his life. Not just here. All through the Psalms. David admitted. You can find David admitting when he's hurt, when he's tired, when he's confused, when he'd been slandered, when he felt he'd been unfairly spoken of, when he was afraid. When he was rejected by his friends over and over again, David, the king, admits that he didn't know exactly what to do in this situation or this situation or this situation. But David always knew who to turn to. David always turned to the Lord. Uh, In this Psalm 62, David says in three different ways how God is the answer to his problems, how God is his savior. The first time in verses 1 and 2, if you look back, it's just this flat statement. He just declares, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. That's the first time he just declares it. It's a plain statement of fact. The second time, starting in verse 5 there, the way David says it is almost like he has to talk to his own soul. He has to talk his heart into believing what his head knows is true. You see, he's so broken. He is so on the edge at this point that he has to say to his heart, heart, find rest in God. Find rest in God alone. It's not just a declaration. It's a command to himself, to his conscience. Sometimes we have to do that. And then finally, in verse 8, David comes to a place where he can give this word of testimony and instruction to other people. He says, trust in God at all times, O people. Pour your hearts out to him. 
for God is our refuge. Don't bother trusting in yourselves. Don't bother trusting in other people. Don't bother trusting in your position or in your possessions when times are hard because only God can save. It's only in God that we will find true refuge. So David's counsel to us is that we need to pray. We need to pray. Pour out your heart to God, he says. Because he is our refuge. Pour out your heart to God. Like I have learned to do, David tells us. Someone said once, we only really believe what we act upon. Everything else is just religious talk. We might say that we believe. Oh yeah, I trust in God. But if we never act on that trust, we're just talking. Usually for the sake of how we appear to other people. Prayer, spending time talking to and listening to God, is acting on our belief. Acting on our trust. Prayer is what puts trust into action. The Psalms are evidence of David's doing this. He acts on his trust. David was honest with himself and David was honest with God. And that allowed David to have this totally open conversation with God. David truly prayed. Do we? (laughs) That's the question. Do we, do you truly pray? Are you honest with yourself like David was? Can can you look yourself in the eye and say, this is where I'm succeeding. This is where I'm failing. This is where I'm hurting. This is where maybe I'm causing hurt in other people. Are you honest with yourself? And then can can you open yourself up and pour yourself out to God? Can you talk to him and listen to him talk? back about those very things there's a freedom you know there's a real beauty in honest conversation whether whether the topic is easy or difficult when two people know that they are bound in a relationship of love they can talk honestly and they can talk openly without fear of retribution or or judgment or or evil consequence you know In verse 11 down there, we see that David knew that he was in a relationship of love with God. He says, two things I have heard. He says, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. He knew that God loved him. It's when we doubt the love of someone else that communication starts to get guarded, doesn't it? That's when we start keeping things to our side, inside. So when we start keeping things to ourselves. But if we know we are loved, we can say just about anything. And we can hear just about anything from that person. So maybe the first thing we need to know is, do you know that God loves you? (laughs) Do we know that he loves us? He does. You never have to doubt it. We never have to question it. He loves us and he wants us so badly to, to come to him. Just like a child comes to a parent, he wants us to come and talk with him about our deepest needs and joys 
and hurts. You know, the fact is, we were never made to carry all of that stuff anyway. Particularly the hurts of life. We weren't made to carry that by ourselves. We weren't supposed to have any in the first place. We were made for a good world. We were not made for a world of sin. That's why God stands ready to help us. It's part of his redeeming work. It's part of his grace. God says to us, I love you so much that I sacrificed my son to save you. So would you let me now help you walk through this world that is so damaged and that is so broken? God can see the tottering fence within us. We might try to hide it from him, but he can see it anyway. He knows when our wall is leaning. And if we'll be honest with ourselves and then honest with him, he will be to us just what he was to King David. He will be our strength and he will be our shield and he will be our refuge and rock and fortress and salvation. That's a promise of God to every one of us. So will you believe him? Will you Trust him. Will you trust him enough to act on that trust? (laughs) And to take the next step toward him in prayer. What is God asking of you today? What's he asking of you? To be honest with yourself? To be honest with him? I don't know. I don't know what he's asking of you. But whatever it is, do as he asks. Would you? Do as he asks. Take that step toward him this morning. Put your trust into action through prayer. Right here. Right now. Begin. Father, we want, we want to ask you for three things here in closing. Would you first help us all to be to be honest with ourselves about our needs, about our struggles, about our joys, about where we are in life. Then would you help us to be honest with you? You can see us anyway. It's not like we're admitting to you something that you don't know, but we need to admit it to you. Would you help us to do that? To admit, I'm struggling with this, Lord. I don't know what to do with this. Would you help us to be honest with ourselves? Would you help us to be honest with you? And then would you show us individually, show us what we need to do to put our belief into action, to begin a more focused, more intentional, more involved life of prayer. Lord, would you come and speak to us this morning? In your name, Jesus, we pray.